Coming up this evening on NTD Business. Texas is suing Facebook parent Meta, accusing it of illegally collecting facial recognition data without consent. The Heritage Foundation says America's economic freedom is eroding. We ask it why. And the biggest deal ever in the semiconductor industry, chip giant AMD buying up Xilinx in a $50 billion deal. What's AMD after? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Texas is suing Facebook's parent company, Meta. It's over allegations Facebook illegally collected the facial recognition data of tens of millions of state residents for a decade. The lawsuit argues Facebook's old photo tagging feature, you may remember it, failed to get people's informed consent before gathering their data. In November, Facebook said it would stop using the tool, said it would delete more than a billion people's information, citing concerns about use of the technology. But Texas says by that point, the company had already violated the state's privacy laws billions of times. Facebook did respond, telling us the claims were without merit and that it will defend itself, quote, vigorously. The United States has fallen to its lowest ever ranking in the annual Economic Freedom Index that's published by the Heritage Foundation. It says the major factor behind America's decline is excessive government spending, which has resulted in mounting deficit and debt burdens. The U.S. did score the highest in property rights with 95 points in business freedom, monetary freedom, investment freedom, and financial freedom. The United States scored over 80 points. In government spending, though, the country only netted 54 points. So joining us to discuss economic freedom is Joel Griffith of the Heritage Foundation. Joel, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on tonight. And Joel, were you surprised when you saw today's report and how far America had fallen down in the rankings? Well, these results were disappointing. Uh, the United States fell five spots from 20th most free economy in the world to number 25. In fact, we're not even considered to be free any longer. We uh, now rank the United States as mostly free and we're trailing two dozen countries. I can't say I'm surprised though. If you look at what's happened over this last year and a half, there has been an assault, not just on civil liberties with all the restrictions on gatherings, on religious freedom, on educating our children. There's been a tremendous assault on economic freedom. Think to the eviction moratoriums, the assault on private property rights, these emergency orders that were done in such a non-democratic fashion, businesses that were criminalized uh, from, from and forbidden to operate. We have never seen anything like this in our country, not just in our lifetimes, but since our nation's founding. So I'm saddened, but I'm not surprised at this. So you think these factors played a big part in it? My, my, what I took away from the report was that it's mainly around debts and deficits, but not necessarily from listening to you. You're, you're right. The Index of Economic Freedom that the Heritage Foundation publishes ranks uh, countries and many different metrics, including fiscal health, tax policy, the integrity of the court system, private property rights. So these all factor in. 
Now, where you mentioned the fiscal issues, that is a big part of the reason why our nation fell to number 25. We have one of the most poorly managed budget systems in the country. We've got a national debt now that is close to 130% of our gross domestic product. It adds up to almost $100,000 per person in debt. And we have grown that over this past year and a half. We've actually seen our, our government spend about $6 trillion extra over the past two years than they otherwise would have. And that's about $80,000 per family of four. And every single dollar has been borrowed from future generations or we've had our central bank print the money. And it's a big part of the reason why we have inflation at the highest levels in 40 years. And it's a big part of the reason why we see the supply chain crisis, which all of us are noticing when we go to the grocery store or when we try to order something on Amazon. Is it not the case, Joel, that countries all around the world. You look at China printing money, you look at Europe printing money. Are we really in the States that far ahead of everyone else in this regard? Uh, well, sadly, we are doing worse than many other countries. And it's why, despite the fact that the, uh, across the entire world, economic freedom has actually gone in reverse this past year and a half, the United States has gone in reverse more than many other countries. That's why we fell five spots, in particular on the monetary front. We have expanded our debt load to an extent far greater than most other nations. We've had our printing presses running, printing those extra dollars to an effect more than most other nations. And when it comes to the COVID shutdowns, we were close to about number 57 in the, in the world in terms of restrictiveness. So yes, there were many countries that were far more restrictive than us, but there were several dozen countries that were actually less restrictive than us throughout this COVID crisis. And to that point, I think it's uh, clear that some states handled this far better than others. Florida, for instance, is a bastion of economic freedom, while you have places like New York City and Los Angeles that continue to be economically repressed, all in the name of countering this pandemic. Joel Griffith, Heritage Foundation. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. TD Bank has confirmed it has frozen two accounts with money to support the Freedom Convoy. That's a group of Canadian truckers protesting to end the country's vaccine mandates. The accounts have over a million dollars in them, money people donated to the truckers to support the cause. But the bank said it appealed to an Ontario court to obtain the funds, plans to give them back to some donors. The truckers say the bank's move is improper and disappointing. They also say the legal basis for the bank's actions is questionable. Before TD Bank, GoFundMe blocked donations to a fundraiser for the Canadian truckers. It said it would return the funds. Last Monday, GoFundMe said that all donations were refunded. It also claimed to have had multiple discussions with local law enforcement and police reports of violence and other unlawful activity, but didn't provide any evidence. And the battle for semiconductor market share is heating up, you could say. Intel rival AMD just closed the biggest chip deal on record, saying it finalized an agreement to buy Xilinx for around $50 billion. When the deal was first announced in October, it was worth about $35 billion. The value climbed as the price of AMD stock rose amid the global chip shortage. AMD said the transaction creates a leader in high-performance and adaptive computing while expanding AMD's market to around $135 billion. Word of the deal sent AMD's stock up over 4%. AMD is chief rival to Intel for CPUs in the personal computer market. 
Semiconductor sales hit nearly $556 billion last year. That's over 26% higher than 2020 and a new industry record. The largest auto show in North America has opened in Chicago. This year, electrical vehicles are taking center stage. We ask attendees what they think about the EVs. February 12th was the first day of this year's Chicago Auto Show. About 30 brands came to show their most advanced models, and automakers are all in on the transition to electric vehicles or EVs. For Midwesterners, pickup trucks are a staple at Chicago's Auto Show. We're at the Auto Show to see all the new vehicles. Hopefully the uh, Ford Lightning pickup would be our favorite one to see. It should be better than buying, paying for gas nowadays. Gas is too expensive. Other guests are not so enamored with EVs. Yeah, I like the gas because they seem more powerful to me. I love the truck. I love the front camera. That was wonderful. And imagining being able to back up my truck and pick up my hitch without having to get out and lift up the trailer was fantastic. And just uh, really excited to look at all the new cars. There's no better location than and place than this to go see all of them. Vandenbrink drove three hours to the show, but is skeptical about EV's range. It may be the next generation of technology when they have a range of, you know, 500 miles, I might consider some. A retired professor is concerned about battery waste. Uh, I'm still concerned what will happen to batteries after a decade or so of battery use. And there's going to be millions upon millions of those batteries. So it concerns me, like, where, do, where does that go? The process of making the battery, lithium ion and that, is a, is a huge um, is as bad on the environment right now as as gas production. Morris, who works in automotive manufacturing, is familiar with battery production. The only difference is during the life of the car, the emissions will be lower. So they're saying it's sort of carbon neutral. I don't think it really is yet. Despite concerns, Cars.com founder and CEO Alex Vetter says EVs are gaining popularity. You know, EVs are, are fast growing, probably the fastest growing segment of consumer interest on our website. Searches share last year for EVs was only 5% national. Now, uh, you saw elevated spikes in EV search share get as high as 8% in California, states like California, where you had big incentives and, 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 and consumer benefits for buying EVs. The 10 day auto show runs until next Monday, February 21st, at Chicago's McCormick Place. The billionaire pilot who led the first all-private astronaut mission to orbit is planning to go back to space. Jared Isaacman, an accomplished aviator and entrepreneur, has purchased three more flights from Elon Musk's SpaceX. Isaacman is outlining an ambitious plan for a privately funded space exploration program that aims to push the limits. Under his proposal, the trips would go deeper and deeper into space with every mission, the first flight in what he calls Polaris missions is planned for late this year, will last up to five days. In a first for anyone traveling in a SpaceX Dragon capsule, Isaacman is even planning a space walk. Price tag for the flights has not been announced. And Wall Street ended lower today. The Dow fell 172 points, about half a percent. S&P 500 lost 17 points, about four tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq ended pretty much unchanged today. But a whopping $7 million price tag for a 30-second Super Bowl ad may have been worth every penny for one company. The Coinbase app crashed briefly Sunday after a surge in traffic. It's an app for a cryptocurrency exchange. 
The 60-second ad featured a floating and colorful QR code bouncing around the screen. That sent people to the landing page, which had more than 20 million hits in one minute. The chief product officer took to Twitter, saying it was historic and unprecedented at the same time. According to crypto news website The Block, the app also skyrocketed in popularity, rising from 186th place to second place in Apple's App Store. Coinbase's stock has been down at 23% this year after recently going public. And China's big tech players also want in on the metaverse. It's not just Facebook, you know. Firms were hesitant but are now heavily investing. Could look very different from the United States version. Here's Anthony's Evelyn Lee with more. China's tech giants are now pushing into the metaverse, a market that Morgan Stanley says could be worth $8 trillion. While U.S. tech giants are invested already, Chinese firms have been more cautious. That's with tighter regulation and the tech clamp down by the regime. But now China's big tech players are stepping up to create their own version. Companies like Tencent or NetEase for that matter or ByteDance, the owners of TikTok, and Alibaba itself for that matter, they would be front runners. Alibaba this year announced plans to launch its own augmented reality glasses, while Meta's headsets are banned in China. NetEase set up a base to develop metaverse applications, and China's Google replacement Baidu launched a metaverse app already. Winston Ma, managing partner at CloudTree Ventures, told CNBC that it's the future of social networking. That's because tech giants need to find new ways to engage their youngest generation of Internet users. And with news about eye movement tracking and facial expression tracking, there are concerns. Felix Shipkevich, a blockchain and crypto attorney, is reminding people about the importance of data privacy. And we need to be reminded that privacy and also anonymity need to be regulated in such a way that while important for our society, um, at the same time do not, are not used for the means of exploiting others. He says it could also be a potential threat to national trade secrets or security. Cybersecurity expert Bob Gourley agrees. The amount of data in the metaverse that uh, China and other hostile nations will be able to collect does pose that kind of danger. If they get that kind of information on what you desire and want, uh, they will be well positioned to manipulate you more. But it seems like China's metaverse will have a very different look compared to the U.S. metaverse. With the regime's heavy censorship, user content generation is very difficult, for instance. But in the U.S., this is a key pillar of the metaverse. At the same time, gaming, also essential to the metaverse, is also being heavily restricted in China. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. And after a month's-long freeze, Chinese IPOs could be debuting in the United States again. We talked to a senior economic analysis to get an idea of how much attention the IPOs will get and why, in light of previous regulatory crackdowns. Anthony's Don Ma has the details. At least half a dozen Chinese companies are now aiming to go public in the U.S. Filings show the firm's recently submitted documents for listings on the New York Stock Exchange. And some of the Chinese firms don't seem to be worried about regulatory crackdowns from Beijing, like the one that happened to Chinese car service company Didi. A senior economic analyst tells us that this may be because the firms have approval from Chinese authorities. 
Uh, without having any direct information on the fact, I would say I can't imagine this coming through and with, unless it was, permission, it was given permission from the authorities. Though the size of the companies is on the smaller side, they plan to raise as little as $1 million and up to $35 million for the initial public offerings. And it looks like these Chinese companies will attract some investors. The enticements of the market, of the Chinese market, will remain. It will depend initially on pricing. My guess is that the pricing will be very attractive. But the history has been that the investors always return to the promise of the Chinese market. Trevisani says investors will likely be from smaller investment houses or hedge funds. But investment in these Chinese companies is not without some risks. The Chinese will again come into the market and change things, order things, crack down on companies. That's always a risk. And the chances of regulatory crackdowns on these companies could increase as the firms grow larger. Trevisani says China wants to list their companies on Western exchanges because there's far more capital. And there could be more Chinese IPOs in the future, depending on the reception these companies get. Don Ma, NTD News. With that, we're going to take a quick break, but still to come this evening. We visit a New York City chocolate maker for Valentine's Day. Take a look at what the company calls old-school chocolate. What about some practical advice for the occasion? We talked to two personal finance experts on how to talk to your spouse about money. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Candies, flowers, gifts galore. It's Valentine's Day. And one chocolate factory in New York City is serving it up old school. Here's Andrew Thomas takes us there. Dripping chocolate covers homemade heart-shaped marshmallows. They're made at Lilac Chocolate's 9,000-square-foot production space in New York City. On Friday, employees were busy decorating chocolate hearts with colored sprinkles, dipping cherries in chocolate, and preparing toffee filling ahead of Valentine's Day. I've been doing like about 18 hours a day, you know, to keep up with, with, our, with the demand. And we have, we have a, like a really big line of uh, fresh chocolate. Uh, we have like over 120 items, and we have to keep up with all this. Uh. Lilac Chocolates has been operating since 1923 and will celebrate its 100th anniversary next year. Valentine's Day is one of the busiest times of year for the company. From a business perspective, it's our second biggest holiday after Christmas. So it's, we do more chocolate sales in Valentine's Day and actually end Easter um, than we do any other time of the year outside of Christmas. The company makes what it calls old school chocolate. Everything is made by hand using the founder's original recipes from the 1920s. We make everything by hand, um, and we make a, a unique style of chocolate that's different from a lot of the mass-produced chocolates that you see. The company built up its online business during the pandemic and has weathered supply chain disruptions. We've had some of those same issues with supply chain shortages and price increases, 
Um, you know, they varied from item to item, but we were definitely out of stock on certain items last year. Um, fortunately, it wasn't anything that, you know, we couldn't sort of navigate around. And, and we're still, you know, faced with increased prices for raw materials. Today, it's seeing store sales grow again as tourists and office workers return to Manhattan. You know, we're very optimistic about the holiday. I mean, people love chocolate, you know, and it's a nice little break and a treat for people. So we do see people coming back, spending money, um, consuming at good levels, and so we think that will continue. The National Retail Federation expects spending on Valentine's Day 2022 to reach nearly $24 billion, up from almost $22 billion in 2021. Andrew Thomas. NTD News. Being in a relationship isn't all chocolates and roses. It also means you may have to talk to your partner about serious topics like money. A recent Wells Fargo survey says nearly 9 out of 10 Americans say it's important to be honest with, about finances with your spouse or partner. But apparently it's also a pretty touchy subject. Two in five from the survey say they'd rather avoid talking about finances with their spouse or partner. Also, two in five wish they had guidance or advice or a checklist for how to talk to their spouse or partner about money. So joining us to discuss relationships and money is Guy Baker, founder of financial planning company Wealth Teams Alliance and Mary Lyons of The Wealth Woman. Guys, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on. Happy Valentine's Day. Mary, I want to go to you. you. You have noted that more people file for divorce between January and March than any other time of the year, which is a real shame given the new year to a lot of people is a time of renewal and new promises. What exactly are some of the specific problems around money that couples are facing in America? Sure. There's been a couple of studies about this, and the, the leading causes of divorce are infidelity and finances. And I can't help with the first one, uh, but I can definitely offer some advice on the second one. And that's really tied around making sure that you're on the same page with your spouse about money. Frequently, when I sit down with couples, they have very different visions for what their life should look like. And I think getting on the same page about that to begin with is really helpful. And sometimes that can start with something as simple as making sure that you understand what your budget is and then working within that. Guy, we spoke a little offline. You have not only professional experience in this field, but some personal experience you, you feel has even been more advantageous to you. Maybe you can go through uh, that with us. Yeah, sure. So um, my wife and I got married right out of college, and uh, neither of us had much experience with uh, managing money personally. And I was very frugal. I didn't necessarily think my wife was. And so I ended up, you know, being very careful about how we spent the money and you know we were working out of the same checking account and that uh, you know caused a lot of disagreements and discussions so what we ultimately decided was that we would split that up she had her own checking account and credit cards i had my own checking account and credit cards i paid all the big bills she ran the household and she gave me a budget of what she needed so that was her paycheck and I made sure she had her paycheck every month, never looked at it, didn't care how she spent it. And it turned out that not only was she able to manage the budget in the house, but she also saved money for Christmas and birthday presents and all of that type of uh, expenditures. So I never had to worry about coming up with, you know, at the time, 1000 or $1,500 for Christmas, you know, which always choked me. 
but uh, it worked out well for us. Uh, Mary, I see you smiling. You want to add anything there? Yeah, I'm just laughing. I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of what we recommend for our clients as well. Um, I myself, so it's interesting that you tell your personal story because I think that's so much easier for people to relate, relate to. But my husband and I actually have a joint checking account and we found that we had a lot of problems because I tend to spend small bits of money just a little bit at a time and he will spend nothing, nothing, nothing and then have a very large expenditure which would disrupt the entirety of the budget. And so what we actually did is we give ourselves a weekly allowance. So every Friday, there's an automatic transfer into that separate account, right? Just like what you're talking about, Guy, and, uh, and making sure that we, we really aren't paying attention to what that's being spent on. But it allowed my husband to save up large amounts of money for his big purchases. And if I'm being completely honest, because this is my spending money and I know the check comes in on Friday, in that particular account, I'm broke every Thursday. <laughs> well, that's not too dissimilar than the way we do it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm the big spender and she's the little spender, but it's drip, drip, drip. It's sort of like a water torture test. It adds up. <laughs> it does. And from you, you look really long-term planning as well, Guy, and help people manage their money for retirement. Do you feel this kind of strategy is helpful in that regard as well? Well, definitely. I mean, you know, it's one thing to have a budget and to know that money's going to be there every month or hope it's going to be there every month. It's another thing to manage how you're going to spend it. And of course, there's always those, you know, unexpected expenditures that come along. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it makes sense to have separate pocketbooks. Anything else, uh, Mary, from your research that people should be um, aware of that, that could be helpful? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I think uh, really making sure that you've got a good understanding of what your vision for your life is. I, my husband and I have been married at this point for over 15 years. And as recently as this past year, we sat down and had a conversation about what we really want from our lives. Because I think what, what sometimes happens is you get married and you feel like you know your partner. And then over time, you stop asking some of the questions. But at least for us, you know, we've grown and evolved in the past 15 years and what we each want from our lives has evolved with that. But we hadn't really sat down and talked about the specifics of we want both of what we want both now and in the future. And once we did that and really understood what are the negotiables, what are the non-negotiables, it changed the conversations we were having around planning because it's for me, you know, one of the things that's important is creating memories and traditions with our family. For my husband, he's really interested in making sure that he's a really good dad and being able to bring into alignment what we want to do with our finances, what experiences we want to have with our kids really allowed us to both get on the same page about what that means for expenditures today and what it means for expenditures that are really geared towards the future. And I find that clarity of dreaming and understanding what's negotiable for your spouse and what's non-negotiable really brings couples into alignment with money and a lot of times helps them defer gratification if they need to be saving more money and be more deliberate about getting what they want out of the money they are spending today. Very good. Timeless advice. Guy Baker, Mary Lyons, really appreciate it. Thank you both. Happy Valentine's Thank Day. Thank you. Thank you for Thank having you. us. That's the latest business updates for this Valentine's Day. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.